1: Good morning, Christ Chapel. How are we doing? Yeah, cool. Um, Hey, you guys go ahead, if you have a copy um, of the Bible, open up to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 27 if you want to kind of figure out where we're going. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of them. We're a church, so we have a ton. Um, Take one. They're around the room, or you can come up to me. I can give you my own. Zach said he would give you his own if you want his. Um, His is really cool. Um, But that's our gift to you. Otherwise, scripture will be up on the screen if if you don't have a Bible. But, um, by the way, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. um, And I'm really glad that all of you are here this morning. And if you're joining us for the first time this week, A, super glad you're here. B, you're stepping into um, the second week of a series on anxiety. It's just an issue that we, as a church, decided to tackle and we think is pervasive and everybody struggles with. I'm sure you can agree with. And we also just don't think that there's a quick fix um, to it. So there's a lot to unpack with the issue of anxiety. Um, and today we get to focus in on it a little bit more. But to give you a quick little recap on what we talked about last week, which, by the way, if you if you miss it, i um, I'll give you a quick recap. And then secondly, you can go onto our Instagram to the link in the bio and you'll get a podcast or Uh, access to our YouTube channel. And I would really encourage you to go listen to it because there's a lot that Ben gets to unpack in that sermon that I'm just going to give you like a 30 second flyover on. So um, he started with the idea of there's a couple cautions that we've got to address when it comes to anxiety. And the first one is simply to um, adopt a just stop it mentality, right? Of like pray this away. It's a quick fix kind of thing of like, don't fall into that narrative that like there's something wrong with you. And all you need to do is this one quick step or these three quick steps to like release yourself from anxiety because that's just unrealistic. And then the other two cautions were A, um, don't over-spiritualize things, AKA like don't pray it away of like, oh, don't believe that there must be something wrong with you and your relationship with the Lord just because you can't shake some crippling anxiety in your life. That's just, don't over-spiritualize it to that point. And then also on the flip end uh, of that is don't over-medicate, right? Um, and he talked about this idea of, man, there's a pill for everything nowadays, but the, the idea that medicine is not in competition with faith, right? Like medicine, we believe, is a gift and a grace of God to help us out. Um, he used the analogy, if you don't tell someone with asthma to not use an inhaler, right, and to just pray away their asthma. Um, in the same way, medicine and faith work together. They're not a competition, but to not over medicate. Um, and so those were the cautions. And that's kind of setting up where we're going today. Let's read John 14 to kind of set the stage um verse 27 this is Jesus speaking to his disciples he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled or let them be afraid my peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you so here we see this idea that there is peace offered to us in life with Jesus right and we get that we're singing songs like I'm a child of God and therefore no longer a slave to fear but can we all agree that it's hard to experience the peace of God sometimes especially in anxiety can we agree that there's a disconnect often in our lives and it's like man how do I actually experience that um, Ben last week talked about some things that are, are broken so the world is broken around us our minds and bodies are broken because of sin And then our relationship with the Lord is also broken. And we don't have a proper view of who he is. There's a disconnect there. And so that's what we're diving into today. Um, Unapologetically, we are gonna spend time talking about the spiritual side of anxiety and and the root of anxiety as it relates to the spiritual, um, which I believe the spiritual, the physical, the mental, the emotional is all connected. So I think there will will be a lot here for you. Um, But how I wanna set the table is that there are a couple or a few negative narratives that can be easy for us to believe in the thick of our anxiety. Um, a couple lies that can just really just drive us further into eng- our brokenness and into our anxiety and just aren't helpful and might even drive us into shame. So I'm gonna lay them out real quick. Um, the first one is that you're alone, that no one else is experiencing anxiety like you are, or that you've got it somehow um, uniquely different to everyone else and that there's no one's going to understand you. So you believe that you're alone or you believe or and or you believe that you're unfixable or that you're ruined and that because of your anxiety and because you've been dealing with it so deeply for so long on whatever level that there's just no fix to it. And you've tried everything and you just believe that there's something wrong with you and you can't be fixed. And then the last one that we believe is that we're not in control. Um, so I'm going to stop right there. Before we unpack these, I want to do something a little different. We want to do something a little different. I um, I don't have all the experience in the world, although I have some experience, but there are people who are more experienced than me, more wise than me, and uh, I want to invite someone up on stage named Amy Foster. Um, she knows a lot about the brain, is um, just really an amazing woman. She's our director of shepherding here in our college ministry. So. She does a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff of what happens here, and she's honestly going to unpack all of those narratives um, and tell us about what God has to say about all that. Amy, you ready? I'm ready. Cool. I think they're ready, too.
0: Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, everybody, for being here. You know, I can't think of a better way to start talking a conversation about anxiety with Jesus' words. My peace I leave with you we need that, don't we? Jesus has left peace here with us all, but the truth is we're in this broken world, and that means lots of things go wrong. There are things that worry us. There are concerns. There are difficulties here in this world, And for all of us, it can be so hard to get attached to Jesus' peace, to to tap into the peace that he promises us is here and available. So that's really what we're going to talk about today. And let me just remind you, this is kind of in the category of things in our spiritual life that create uh, this anxious emotion for us. We're not covering things that happen in our um, medical lives or in our bodies. We're really looking at our relationship with God. And so I wanna make sure that that we're all on the same page with that together. We're trying to figure out what's going on in our spirit that makes it hard for us to attach to the peace of God. And fortunately, God has given us some great instructions, and you can find this in Philippians chapter 4, verse six, we're going to put it up on the screen. And guys, I want you to leave it on the screen for a while there because we're going we're to be in this for a little while. So y'all read with me Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, I want to leave it on the screen, and I want you to just pay attention to the words for a minute, and I want you to recognize there's a bit of a pattern that God has laid out for us there. It's a formula, you might could say, and the formula looks like this. When you are anxious, pray. And experience the peace of God, and it's the peace that can actually guard your heart and guard your mind. It's the peace that works against anxiety there. So that's God's pattern. I want to tell you a little bit about where these words are written, though. Um, Paul wrote these words in a letter, and it was a letter sent to a specific group of people. They were the church in Philippi and Paul writes writes lots of letters. In your New Testament, you're gonna find lots of the letters that Paul has written, and they all have kind of a characteristic style that is Paul. They all have a lot of things in common, but there is something that makes the book of Philippians unique among all of Paul's letters. While there are many things that are similar, there's one thing that is unique just to this book, and it's the tone. The tone from beginning to end in the whole letter to the church in Philippi is a tone of warmth and compassion and gentleness and grace. And I'm not saying Paul isn't gracious and compassionate in his other letters. He is, but within those letters, there's also some pretty stern correction and rebuke. There's some kind of calls to grow up and start living right, start being a mature believer. That does not characterize the letter that's written to the church in Philippi. It's warmth, it's affection, it's grace, it's kindness. That's Paul's tone and his message from beginning to end. And I want to point that out to you because those are Paul's words inspired by God. So I want you to know when you read this verse that begins, do not be anxious, that is not an angry, disappointed God telling you it's time to grow up and quit being an anxious little child. That's not the tone of this message at all. That's nowhere in this book. So don't read these words, do not, like you've done something wrong if you're feeling anxious because that's not the message of God here. The message of God for us in this pattern, in this formula, is gracious and kind and compassionate and it's wanting to give you help because he knows that the concerns in this world are many this is not a pun this is not a rebuke because you're experiencing anxiety it's help from a gracious God okay so that's the message so if the formula is this when you are anxious pray we read that word pray and maybe you're like me your mind immediately goes to our Father who art in heaven prayer or if I'm going to be honest maybe that goes to please don't let me get a speeding ticket even though I'm driving too fast. Maybe for you, it's please help me pass the test, even though I didn't study as much as I could have. That's one form of prayer, going to God and asking for help, um, telling him our needs. That's just one form of prayer, but the word prayer is actually a bigger word, and prayer actually means all the different ways we commune with God all the different ways we experience the presence of God. That's what is meant by prayer here. And I think if you'll stop and let yourself think about when I'm feeling anxious, I've really lost touch with that reality that God's presence is near, that I can draw near, that I can commune with him. And that's why we get this instruction, when you're anxious, pray. You know, I wanna give you a positive spin on anxiety. Every anxious moment in your day is an opportunity for you to live the gospel reality. The gospel reality is Jesus paid for your sin, He did away with your shame. He covered you with his righteousness so you could be in the presence of God, so you could draw near to a holy God. Every moment that you feel anxious is an opportunity for you to revisit that gospel reality. I can draw near to God here. So when the concerns of the world rob us of peace, we simply need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to commune with God and that's where his peace is found. So when we reduce it like that to this simple formula, sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Oh, when you feel anxious, pray, get peace. It's just not that easy, though. There are all these things that cause trouble for us that make it difficult for us to tap into that piece. And that's what we're going to talk about. The first thing that makes it difficult for us, I think in most anxious moments, we start thinking, I am alone. I'm all alone. Maybe we think nobody understands, nobody gets it. We also think, I have to fix this by myself. There's no help available for me here, I am all alone. And we need to just recognize that as a lie. If your life is united to God through Jesus, then that is a lie. And it's a lie that Jesus was really sensitive to. And among his last moments, his last teaching with his disciples, he wanted to make sure they understood that they were never alone if they were connected to him. You know, if you think about the unique experience that the disciples had, They got to walk with Jesus during the time when he had a real body, and that means they had all this physical evidence that Jesus was with them. They could see him. They could hear him. They could reach out and touch his robes as they walked behind him on those dusty streets. They could see his footprints. They had all this reassurance that they were not alone and Jesus was about to leave them. In John 14, he is preparing them for the time when his body would not be with them, but he was also preparing them to counter this lie that I am not alone. Listen to what he says to them in John 14, beginning in verse 16. We'll put it on the screen for you here. Jesus has just told them that he's about to leave. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so Jesus uh, is referencing there the Holy Spirit. He calls him the helper, the spirit of truth, all those different titles, all are referring to the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what we know from the whole of the New Testament. The moment we unite our life to Jesus through his life, his death, his resurrection, his reign as Lord, the moment we unite our life to him, he puts that Holy Spirit in us. His words are it dwells in you. And that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that helps us, guides us, directs us, energizes us, convicts us, and God says it's like a deposit from God and I've put it in you to mark you as mine forever and it stays with you until I've got you safely in eternity with me. That's a New Testament reality when our lives are connected to Jesus And that's why we can say, just like the disciples could say, we're never alone. Even though Jesus' body would no longer be with them, they were never alone. But I'm sure the disciples struggled because they couldn't see this Holy Spirit with their eyes. And they couldn't hear him with their ears. And they couldn't reach out and touch him the way they were used to experiencing Jesus. We have that same struggle today. You know, I kind of think about this. um, It's like a newborn baby. The very moment a baby is born into the world, there is one thing that baby needs to survive, and it's oxygen. They just need oxygen. They need to fill up their lungs with it, and they need to let it be carried throughout their body. And that's good news because every baby that's born on this earth is born in a room full of oxygen. But no one can see the oxygen, right? And the baby doesn't know he needs it sometimes instinctively that baby doesn't start breathing and take in the oxygen that it needs and the whole room is anxiously anticipating with one thought breathe baby breathe that's all it needs that's the only thing the baby needs to survive the Holy Spirit's presence among us is like oxygen it's the thing we need to survive It's the thing that is available to us if we've united our lives to Jesus, but we can't see it. And just like a newborn baby, sometimes we have to learn how to breathe it in. It doesn't come to us instinctively. And you know what? Jesus is hovering over your life with one thought. Breathe breathe child I've given you everything you need it's your helper it's your strength it's your encouragement it's right here but we have to learn how to experience the presence of Jesus because our eyes can't see it so this is how we counter the lie I am alone we learn to believe the truth that the Holy Spirit is with us and we learn different ways to commune with the Holy Spirit You know, one of the ways we commune with the Holy Spirit we've just experienced right here in this room as we're singing these songs, we're worshiping, we're responding to God. And maybe you had a moment in this worship time when you felt God's spirit in you. These words are true this is real. Maybe you wanted to lift your hands or something. That's experiencing the presence of God. If that happens to you when you're worshiping with music, then keep worshiping with music. Sing those songs over and over and over again. Find the things in your life that help you experience God's presence and do them over and over again. It's not limited to music. Sometimes we experience the presence of God when we're outside in nature seeing beautiful things. If that works for you, go get in nature some of you are artists you've told me that you experience the presence of God when you're creating something do that there was a long season in my life when I was a runner and there was a point in every day's jog when something just happened and my spirit opened up and I knew God's presence was with me and I could talk to him. If it works like that for you, do that. Whatever the worshipful things are where you encounter the Spirit of God, do those things often because that's you like a baby learning to breathe, learning to experience his presence. The other way you can learn to do that is just practice talking to God because if you're talking, he's present and he's listening, right? So practice that and maybe practice listening to God getting still and getting quiet quit telling him how you want everything to go and just listen and see if he reminds you of some of his truths and he and his words just some ways you can practice experiencing the presence of God because the truth that Jesus has told us is you are not alone you're not alone and you experience that when you practice God's presence Okay, there's a second lie that we believe that sort of robs us of the peace that Jesus has left with us, and that's the lie that says, I'm ruined. Whatever anxious thing is going on, it seems like this is unfixable. It's destroyed me. It's destroyed my plans. This is not recoverable. Maybe it's snake bit forever. You know, maybe it works like this. I failed this class. I'm going to have to change my degree plan. I'm not going to get into grad school. I'm not going to get the job I wanted. I'm never going to make any money. Oh, no, I'm going to have to live in my parents' house forever. (laughs) I'll just give you a little tip here. Your parents are having the same anxiety. They don't really want you living in their house forever either. I'm a mom. I can be honest with you about that. So my life is ruined because of this one thing that's gone wrong here. This is not fixable. We're making light of that, but seriously, this tends to be the struggle that we have when big things happen, really big, really unexpected things happen, and I just want to let you know, if you start hearing this lie in your ear, I'm ruined, I want you to know it's a lie, and I want you to know where it comes from, that's a despairing emotion, and it's not from God, I'm going to be pretty bold here, because I'm the oldest person in the room. I'm gonna tell you if you hear the lie, I'm ruined, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's where that lie comes from. You have an enemy, it's God's enemy, and he wants you to despair. What we have to do with our emotions is we have to learn how to put them all through a filter and determine if they are true. Because there's a lot of emotions out there that are based on lies. I'll give you an example of how I learned how to do this. Um, I've shared with you before I have a failed marriage in my history and uh, there was a time when I sat and just learned about a lot of infidelity and lies and deception that were going to change my life forever and as I heard those words and got used to that I believed I have just broken in a million pieces and I'm never going to be whole again that was the lie that I was hearing as the days went on and it became evident to me that um All of that was gonna end in divorce. Then I started thinking about my kids and my family. They're not gonna grow up in a two-parent home. Now, I'm not just ruined. My kids are ruined. My family is ruined. This can never be repaired. Those were the lies that I was hearing. I sat down with a kind and gracious pastor and he asked me how I was doing. And with great confidence, I said, I am destroyed. I will never be whole again. And then he did a surprising thing with compassion. He said, oh, Amy, your feelings are real, but they might not be true. And he stood up at a whiteboard, which seemed kind of weird to me at that time in my broken, despairing moment. And he wrote feelings on one side of the board, and he wrote truth on the other. And he said, okay, your feelings, you feel destroyed, you feel ruined, you feel broken forever. And he said, Amy, I know you know the Bible. I want you to think, are there any words of God, truths of God that support that, that you can be destroyed and ruined forever? And I had to think for a minute and say, no, no truths of God support that. And then he said, okay, let's go a little further here. Are there any truths of God that refute that? And immediately God brought Psalm 34 to my heart, to my mind. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And so my pastor wrote those truths on the board over here opposite my emotions. And then he just pointed at them. And he said, I think your emotions are a lie they're real. Please don't misunderstand me. You're feeling real things. Emotions are real, but sometimes they're a lie. We have to learn to trust God's word more than our feelings, especially those despairing feelings. We have to learn how to evaluate these feelings through the truth of God's word. That's what we have to do, and that's why God has given us all of this. This is the truth that we use to evaluate our feelings. He tells us that in Psalm 119. He says, the sum of your word is truth. That means all of this. The sum of your word is truth. If you're wondering how to evaluate your feelings, this is the way you do it. Jesus would repeat the same thing in the New Testament. In John 17, Jesus is talking to God, and he says, God, your word is truth. Guard them in your truth. That's what these words are for us, the truth that guards us from these despairing emotions. So to that lie that says, I am ruined, this is not recoverable, everything is destroyed, we have to learn to trust God's word more than our feelings. Okay, the last thing that we struggle with, I think, that is kind of a common experience for all of us that makes it difficult for us to turn from anxiety to the peace of Jesus, is this idea of, I am not in control. I'm absolutely not in control. And folks, that's just the truth. It's a reality we don't like to accept, but we are not in control. I think this is hard for us because, you know, we we all make plans and we set goals. Your, most of you are college students right now, that's kind of step one in your long-term career goal. And then as our steps move along and we accomplish that goal, we suddenly believe, I did this. I'm in control. That's where we get this term self-made man, master of your destiny. It's very Western. It's very modern. It's very American. But it's not true. But what tends to happen is then we set our next goal and we succeed and we set our next goal and it succeeds and that just gets this narrative entrenched in our brain that I am in control until the plan goes wonky, until something happens that wasn't in the plan and you suddenly feel like, what's going on here? I'm not in control. And that's reality. That's when your life, your uh distorted thinking kind of butts up against God's reality. You're not in control. You're not in control when the plan goes wonky and haywire, but you weren't in control when the plan succeeded either. You simply are not that powerful. Only God is. He's the one that is all powerful. And in control, God is the one in charge of the ultimate outcome. God is the one in charge of whether that goal is going to be hit or not. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, and Ben gave us a... a diagram that we could use that kind of shows God's domain and then it shows you where our domain is and uh, this isn't totally accurate and that you've got boundaries around your screen here and God's domain is limitless folks it has no boundaries but this is really helpful so when we think of domain we means that means you know where God has dominion where he has all the control and all the power. And so we see that everything, the outcomes, the end goal, the success, the failure, all of that is within God's domain where he has rule and he has control. And you know, God calls himself the blessed controller of all things. And he refers to himself as the one who is holding all things together. And that's how we know that he is the one that has control and dominion over all of these outcomes. We know that he is intervening and he's directing all the events that happen in this world. All of history is being directed by God. That means he moved everything in history to his exact determined point when Jesus would get on a Roman cross and ever since then he's moving all things in history to get to his exact determined point when Jesus is going to come again. God's dominion is controlling all of these events in history and God's dominion is controlling all the events in your life. All of the outcomes are guided and controlled by God. And that's a pretty big theological idea and I know for most of you in this room when you consider God is controlling the outcome that takes you immediately to the question of but what about the pain and what about the hurt and what about the wrong and the evil that is happening to me that has happened to my friends that's happening on the other side of the world right now that's a great question and we have to remind ourselves of the holy good character of God evil does not originate in God It doesn't. Evil doesn't start with God. He has given all of us from the beginning of time. He's given us free will, free choice. We can choose good or we can choose evil. And sometimes we choose evil. And that means there are evil consequences working themselves out in the world that we live in. That's why we use the expression all the time. This is a broken world. It's a broken world because we make evil choices and evil is out there. Sometimes we experience evil consequences from our own error and our own sinful choice. Sometimes evil consequences just fall on us and land on us. God doesn't, um, evil doesn't originate in God. But if God has dominion and God has control, God can intervene. Even when the evil falls on you, God can intervene in your life and continue to move your life to his appointed end, to his good place. God can take the things that evil uses to harm you. And God can turn them into good purposes in your life. That's Romans 8, 28. So we have to come to terms with God as the one controlling the outcome. Good or bad, God is in control of that. But you do have some control. There is a little part on that diagram that shows you you have some dominion. You have some power here. All your choices, all your decisions, all your actions all your reactions. You have 100% control in all those areas. Will you choose obedience God's way or disobedience your way? That is the one thing in the whole dominion of God here that you have control over. And that's your control that you get to exercise one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one decision at a time. You have total control over that. You know, way back in Deuteronomy, all the people of God were called together and God had just given them all the laws and commandments. And he basically said, here are all the good choices, good choices. These lead to wholeness and health and well-being and flourishing. These are good choices. I hope you'll choose these. And then he says, over here are all these other choices and they lead to brokenness and despair, and ultimately to death. And then God to all of his people says you get to choose. Choose life. That is 100% in your domain. Every day you have 100% control over the choices you make. Proverbs 3 verse 6 is a great life verse and it succinctly shows you this this chart with God's dominion in yours. Listen to this. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge God. That's your domain. That's your control. In all your ways, acknowledge God with obedient choices and God will make straight your path. And I love this. He makes straight the path. And so that's when we see God can alter the path that has been made crooked and broken and wrecked and looks ruined. God can alter it. He can straighten the crooked path. He can adjust the path toward whatever good outcome he chooses for us. And folks, that kind of feels like freedom, doesn't it? It feels like peace. I can trust God with the outcome, and I can just be in control of my obedient choices all day long, every day. You know, if we consider that God says he can straighten any path, and he says he is working in all of our life, that means you're never ruined, ever, Because God can straighten out anything that happens to you. If that's hard for you to believe, if that's hard for you to envision that kind of a power, I want you to remember this is the God who took Jesus' broken body, breathless, lifeless, dead. And God brought that body out of a tomb, glorified, resurrected, alive. And God says that same power is available to you. That's the power he can use to straighten out the crooked path in your life. That is the power of God. He can alter your path. He can direct it towards his good outcome. No evil can alter God's good path for your life. That feels like freedom. That feels like peace. Our job is basically just to keep our side of the street clean and let God take care of the rest. So as I consider how we live with God, how we try to stay attached to the peace of God that is available to all of us, I think there are three things we need. And the first, we need the Holy Spirit of God. We need God's Spirit. And here's the assurance we have. If we've had the moment where we've said, I am lining my life up with the life of Jesus through his death, his resurrection, his reigning as Lord today, then we have the Holy Spirit of God. It's in us, it never leaves us, we have it. That's how we access Jesus' peace. But I think we also can see that we need the word of God here. We need all of the words of God. Um, The word is what helps us understand what is truth and what is a lie, so we need the word to help us evaluate all of our feelings. And we need the word to help us know what are the good choices that lead to wholeness and goodness and life and what are the choices that are going to lead to destruction and brokenness and death. We need the word for that. And I also think we need the community of God and that's why God has knit us together and called us family with one another we need the community of God. You know, just here in this room together, we have experienced a unique manifestation of the presence of Jesus where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there. We have experienced that because we've gathered together today and we need to keep experiencing that. The other reason we need the community of God It reminds us um, that we need to process all of our emotions through truth. The community is where we help one another do that. And folks, this is just about the only place in the world right now that won't tell you your feelings are the truest thing about you. You need to follow your feelings. You need to trust your feelings. There needs to be a place where somebody says something contrary to that message. And the community of God is the place that does that for us. The community of God is also the place where people surround us who are trying to choose life and we get to look at them as examples. We get to model ourselves after them. These are the places where if we're not choosing life, someone can graciously come alongside us and say, hey, that looks like a disobedient choice. I'm worried about what you're doing here. The community of God is where we get to experience all of these things. So the spirit of God, which is ours, if we're in Jesus, the word of God, which is here available, the community of God, which happens wherever two are drawing together. These are the things we need because the peace of Jesus is available to us. So my hope and my prayer for each of you is that you have all three things in your life and that you'll keep your lives built around those three things. As we close today, normally this would be the time I would pray for you, but God's formula for us is when you are anxious, pray. So instead, I would like for this to be a time when we can just all take a few moments and pray together, and then I'll close us out. All right, so let's just pray. Let's just begin. Let's just thank God that peace is available through life in Jesus. Peace and vitality is available because the spirit of God is given to all of us. Let's thank God for that reality. Now, right now in this moment, just express to God the things that are making you anxious right now. Hand those things over to God in this moment. And let's ask God to remind you of his words, which are true. Ask God to bring those words into your memory, into your brain, into your soul right now. God, we are your people, and we need your peace. Every day we need your peace. So we thank you that peace is available through Jesus. We thank you that he's ours. We pray that you would strengthen us to rest in your peace. We pray that your words would guide us as truth. We pray that you would hold us in each and every decision, in obedience, and guard us in your peace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.